Warning, file 13 contains content that may be too disturbing for some audiences. It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes. It may not be suitable for children under 13. Listener discretion is advised. In December 2010, a young, vibrant honor student from Monroe, North Carolina, was visiting family in Baltimore during the Christmas break. She was on track to graduate early. She had scholarships ready and waiting to take her to the next level. Her plans was to attend Tosin University. She had convinced her mom to let her visit and stay with her half-sister that she had recently reconnected with through social media. Her mother reluctantly agreed. After all, she had never been in trouble, caused any problems, or gave mom a hard time. So mom saw her off, hoping she'd enjoy herself while away. But she didn't realize that this would be the last time she'd see her daughter alive. This is the case on the death of Felicia Simone Barnes. Breaking news involving the murder of 16-year-old Felicia Barnes. 11 News has learned there has been an arrest in the case. 11 News reporter Kim Dacey joined us live from police headquarters with more details for us. Good morning, Kim. Well, good morning, Stan and Mitty. We don't have a lot of details to go on, but Baltimore City Police did confirm that Mike... listening to file 13 i am your host kawami curry and my beautiful co-host bam hi bam (laughs) here we revisit unsolved murder cases in black america i'm very excited because this is our very first show yes it is are you excited i'm excited all right (laughs) um this is our very first episode we have worked really hard to put this together for our listeners we do an extensive amount of research um, and some of our cases we talk directly to the victims families we talk directly to the detectives who work the cases sift through information separate rumor from fact but what's most important in my opinion is bringing these cases back to life giving them the oxygen they need to get back into the public's mind Mm -hmm. while we can't guarantee that our episodes will help solve cases we sure hope that someone who knows something is listening and feel compelled to come forward and to provide closure to these victims agreed you know before we launched i would tell people the name of the podcast Uh, and who I was focusing on. And some would ask me why I chose the name and why I focus on the black community. And my answer was simple. 50% of murders in American cities do not lead to an arrest at all. But according to an article in the Washington Post entitled An Unequal Justice, killing of black people lead to an arrest less often than when the victims are white. In the past decade, police in 52 of the nation's largest cities have failed to make an arrest in nearly 26,000 killings. According to a Washington Post analysis of homicide arrest data in more than 18,600 of those cases, the victims were black. Black victims who account for the majority of homicides were the less likely of any racial group to have their killings result in an arrest. The Post found while police arrested someone in 63% of killing of white victims, they did so in just 47% of those that are black. 
File 13 is a euphemism for a trash can. And as I explained, cases involving African-Americans, they go unsolved for many reasons and find themselves in the symbolic trash can. Hence, file oh, 13. 13. Exactly. So before we get started, I'd like to thank the team that makes this podcast possible, starting with my amazing, beautiful co-host sitting right next to me, Bam, <laughs> the brilliant head of research and development, Raven Clark Gross, the equally brilliant Jessica Hollis, our research consultant, consultant, owner of Phoenix Creative Services, who helps us with research, interviews, editing, and fact-checking. The man who brings the amazing sounds of suspense and opening credits, Mr. Rana Sapiano, and finally, our amazing voice actors, Mr. Corey Scott, Lisa Waters, Medina Smith, and Coco Rain. Okay, so we have a very bizarre case, and what I will say as a father with daughters, this would probably fall into what I will call my worst nightmare, and you have nothing but daughters. Yes. So you won't probably feel some kind of way after listening to this particular story. So we're going to just go ahead and dive in and get started. It starts with a beautiful, smart, and intelligent young girl named Felicia Barnes. Felicia is a 16-year-old high schooler, and on December 28, 2010, around 9 p.m. in the evening, Janice calls her daughter Felicia, who is visiting her half-sister in Baltimore. You see, Janice lives in North Carolina, and her daughter is away on winter break from school. Janice calls Felicia's phone, but there's no answer. It goes to voicemail. She tries again. No answer. It goes to voicemail. Now, Janice is starting to get an uneasy feeling. I mean, what 16-year-old, you know, don't have their phone permanently attached to them? Correct. At all times. So Janice decides to call Dina. Dina is Felicia's half-sister through their father. Dina is who Felicia is staying with on this trip. Now, when Dina answers the phone, she drops a bombshell that sends tingling spine up Janice's back. She tells Janice that Felicia is missing and no one has seen her for hours. Janice is understandably livid. Her daughter is a very responsible young lady. She's on an honor roll. She's due to graduate. She's never been in trouble. She has multiple scholarships to college. She's literally the ideal child and student. It's one of the reasons why she allowed her to visit her stepsister. Janice herself isn't that familiar with Dina because Janice was married to Dina and Felicia's father, Russell. But they split when Felicia was very young. And Janice hasn't really been keeping up or contacting Russell's other kids, Kelly and Brian, nor Russell. Let's add the fact that Felicia didn't have an ideal relationship with Russell or his kids. But in 2009, through social media, Felicia connected with her siblings and they developed a relationship from there. So you following me so far? So she's just letting her go to her stepsister's house, basically. Basically, yeah. Okay. Her half-sister. They live in North Carolina half-sister lives in Baltimore, so she's visiting for Christmas break. That's basically what's going on. So by now, Dina has already called everyone she knows asking about Felicia whereabouts. She's called her father. She's called her ex-boyfriend. She's called their brother and sister. She even called the police before she even called Felicia's mother, Janice. Let's remember, Janice actually had to call her, not the other way around. So as you can imagine, Janice obviously wants to know exactly what happened and what's going on. Dina, from her recollection, tells her Felicia had stayed up late the night before and decided to stay at the apartment that day. So sometimes Felicia would go to work with Dina or Kelly. 
but she decided not to because she's apparently stayed up late. This particular day. This particular day, yeah. Dina's ex-boyfriend Michael Johnson came over to the apartment that morning. Apparently, Michael and Dina had broken up and he was there to get his things. So while he was there, Felicia had mentioned getting something to eat, but she fell asleep on the couch a little after 1 p.m., maybe between 1 and 1.30. He says that's the last time he saw her and she was fine. This is what Michael is telling Dina. But for some reason, that story isn't plausible. You see, Felicia doesn't really know Baltimore and she's not likely to go out by herself. And if she did decide to go out, she would probably tell like Dina or Kelly, you know, one of her sisters or something like that. At this point, Dina has already told the police this story now that she's telling Janice. But from my sources, the police at this point wasn't really worried. So mom decides to take matters into her own hands. She contacts the police directly to get them to understand that this is unlike her daughter just to just take off like that and leave or go anywhere. And she has absolutely no reason to run away. Not to mention that there were several items of Felicia's missing, but most importantly was her phone that had been turned off for hours. So from the surface, it would sound like with all of Felicia's things gone that perhaps she was gone on purpose. However, Felicia had brought $150 with her on this trip and Dina knew where that $150 was at. That $150 was still there. So if you're going to run away or if you're going to go get something to eat, you're probably going to take that money. You need you. some money. Right. And even if you don't take the whole 150, you would have took some of it. You would have took some of it, at least to go get something to eat. Correct. But the whole $150 is still there. So when police took the initial complaint at this point, she's classified as a runaway. Now, Russell, remember, this is Janice's ex and this is Dina, Brian, Kelly and, and Felicia's dad. Mm hmm. He told Nancy Grace in an interview that he had told Dina, Michael, and Michael's cousin, who from my sources was staying with them, that they were all suspects in his daughter's disappearance. Russell tells Dina to make a list of every single person that's been in that apartment. After she completed that list, Russell starts to question people on that list. It's like he's doing his own, he doing his, his own, own detective work. Yeah, he's doing his own detective work and investigation and whatnot. And there were a lot of people on that list. The vast majority were guys. So why would she have so many guys in and out of the home with her little sister there? That's like not... Right. That's one of the first things that popped up in my head. Like, why would you have so many... Men around your little sister? And that, so this yeah. included a guy named Kevin, who's Michael's cousin, who stayed in the apartment. This doesn't include two of Michael's younger brothers who also lived in the apartment. So you can imagine Janice feelings when she gets to Baltimore and sees this list of people that's in and out of this apartment. You got grown men, teenage boys all through the house. Right. Now enter Chantel. Chantel is Janice's older daughter from a previous relationship before Russell. According to Chantel, when she would speak to Felicia, it was always about it was always like a lot of noise in the background, like there was a party or something going on. And this, of course, concerns Chantel. When Chantel arrived in Baltimore, according to the atmosphere, it was kind of like somber. It was everyone was sitting around in the apartment like it was like a funeral and stuff like that. But at this point, I mean, she's only missing. Now the family is out. They leave the apartment. They go out. They're passing out flyers. And while they're doing that, rumors began to swirl around the neighborhood. People were saying that they spotted Felicia at the train station and shelters and subways. But none of these leads are anything that's anything credible. Police then bring out bloodhounds to trace Felicia's scent. 
Brian, the brother, had did an interview with the People's Champ saying that the dogs had her sent from the apartment to the parking lot and then the scent disappeared. The odd part isn't that the scent disappeared, it's where it disappeared from. The dogs lose the scent in the spot where Michael parks his car. Dive into the world of unsolved murders in Black America with File 13. Each week on Wednesday, we explore a new case, whether it's local, historical, or from national headlines. Come with us as we tell the stories about the people who are less likely to have their murders solved. File 13, where we believe a cold case is not a closed case. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. And now, back to the story. So now the family, of course, is suspicious of Michael, especially when his story begins to change every so often. But Chantel then drops a bombshell of information that makes the entire family look at Michael. She tells the police that when she and Felicia had spoke the Monday before she disappeared, Felicia told her how uncomfortable Michael was making her. Mm. But she lied. Oh. <laughs> According to the source materials that we have, Chantel said she did that to jumpstart the investigation because she believes Michael knows more than he was letting on. And this was the, her way to get things rolling. Mm. I mean, I kind of understand why she did that, even though it was wrong because technically you're lying to the police. Well, it tanks things. Yeah, it does. It does. It tanks things. And. If it came to trial or something like that, who knows? They they might be using that information or something like that and it could cause a mistrial. I don't know. Exactly. I'm not a lawyer. But but apparently the tactic worked. Mm. <laughs> because on New Year's Eve, the police had interviewed Michael. And he says he doesn't know where she is or where she could be. All right. So let me tell you now. This story is so mangled and confused. Confusing. So for the sake of everybody not getting lost, we're going to go by the police timeline of events. Let me know if it gets confusing. So Tuesday, Dina leaves to work at 8.45 a.m. Only Felicia and Michael's 16-year-old brother, Delane, is in the apartment. They stayed up all night, hence why Felicia decided not to go to work with Dina that day. At 9 a.m., Michael arrives to pick up Delane to take him to their grandmother's house. And then Michael comes back to the apartment. Felicia was getting her day started. He was doing laundry, packing his things. Remember him and Dina had broke up, so he was moving out. Right. At 11.08 a.m., Felicia texts Kelly saying she wanted her hair done. One minute later, they speak on the phone. Felicia confirms that Michael is there and he's doing laundry or whatever, you know, packing, doing laundry. After that, they text back and forth about some random things. The last text was at 12.23 p.m. At 12.30, she made a post on social media saying she was hungry. Dina then tried calling Michael, but his, but his phone was turned off. At 12.35, Kelly texts Felicia saying that she was coming by. She got off work early and she could be there between 1 and 1.30. So I remember Kelly wanted to, 
you know, Felicia wanted her hair done and Kelly was supposed to do it. Right. She's getting off early. But Felicia never responded. At 104, Michael texted Dina and said that his phone had died. He said Felicia fell asleep on the couch. And then in the meantime, Kelly is calling and texting Felicia. But it seems like her phone is turned off now. Kelly then goes home because Felicia's not answering. So she just went home. After 3 p.m., Kelly then contacts Dina to see if Felicia is with her. She says she's not. Now, according to the Baltimore Sun, Michael then calls Dina at 3.30 saying he left the apartment. He also said that he wasn't feeling well and he was going to call off work that day. Now, it's nothing really suspicious about Michael calling off work that day. But most of the time, answer this. When you decide to call off work, because you call off work a lot. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> when you call off, do you call off in the middle of your shift or do you call off before your shift starts? I call off before my shift starts. Right. Michael didn't do that. Michael called off after his shift had already started. Now. So still, do, do you think that they possibly were having some type of intimate relationship or something and it went south? Or who, who, Michael and Felicia. Michael and Felicia. I mean, anything's possible, but my thing is I've called off when my shift have started before, but that's only because something may have happened during that time. Either I'm on my way or something's going on. I lose track of time. Okay. And now I, I need to call off. Most of the time, if I'm calling off, especially if I'm going to call off and fake sick, I'm calling off before my shift before starts. Before my shift starts. But if you call off during the shift, that means something probably happened or something came up unexpectedly, and that makes you call off work. Right. You planned on being there, but you can't be. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so Michael's younger brother walked back to the apartment from his grandmother's house. So I'm assuming the grandmother lives close. She, she had, I guess, apparently close enough. Um... He walks back to the apartment and he said when he got to the apartment, there was loud music playing. The apartment was unlocked and it was empty. I don't see that necessarily as a big deal because sometimes you might want to have, you know, music going on, make people think that somebody's home so they won't come up in the house. But and they would leave the un, they would leave the door unlocked because apparently there'd be a lot of people coming in and out and stuff like that, which still ain't good in my opinion, but they would leave the door normally unlocked, but they would leave the music going so people can think, you know, they think somebody's in there. At 4.50, Michael goes back to the apartment and Delane is still there. Felicia's not there. So at 5.10, Michael texts Dina said, saying, sis is up and active. So Michael gets there and he texts Dina and he's like, sis is up and active, but Felicia's not there. So I guess that's almost like does that mean she's up and out? Exactly. So if she's not there, you're saying he gets in there and he's like, oh, sis is not here. She's up and she's active. She's up and out because she's not here. But that's all left to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's I mean, that's kind of how I see it, though. Like if 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 Demi, if I'm if you're wondering if Demi's home and I come home and I'd be like, you know, the little one's not the little one is active. The little one is up and active or whatever meaning she's not here see i wouldn't think that i would think she's up moving around just up moving just around up but moving still around. but still there at the house but still there at the house gotcha. correct yeah I so guess i think it's left to interpretation it is 
Delane said he hadn't seen Felicia. Dina then called Kelly asking for Felicia. And then Kelly then says that's why she had been calling her. So now Dina has been calling everyone. Then she started worrying and called the police. Through all of that mess, Michael is the last person to see her sleeping on the couch at 1.30 p.m. So with, every, with all of that happening, technically Michael is the last person to see her. Okay. Now here's where things get weird. When they go back and check phone records, they see Michael and Felicia has been exchanging text messages for the last six months. What I tell you, <laughs> I knew it. We're talking hundreds of messages. This guy is 26 and she's 16. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was supposed to call in to work? He did do that, but like I said, it was after the shift. Okay. Um. Now, during his time off, when he had called off work, his day consisted of going to eat, he was visiting family, he had went to Walmart, nothing out of uh, nothing out of the ordinary. This is, you know, what they're telling police. But it's not until police discovered that he went and bought a plastic bin from Walmart, that's when it started to pique their interest. Mm. Now, Dina has a neighbor and his name is Elvis. Elvis says apparently on Tuesday he had noticed Michael struggling to move a blue plastic bin up the stairs because they kind of live like the garden view. So if it's an apartment, they live at the lower level and they have to come up mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So he's sweating. His shirt is off. Elvis asked him if he needed any help. And Michael was like, no, no. The way that he said it was just like, no, I got this. I can do this by myself, even though he's sweating and panting and shirt and everything off. That's suspicious. Right. Things become real on January 2nd because that's when Felicia was supposed to fly back home, but she never made the flight. After so after that, the missing persons basically turns it over to over turns it over to homicide at that point. So now they're corralling everyone on this list and narrowed it down to like 12 people. That's still just like way too many people. Right. This includes Dina, this includes Michael, Michael's cousin, the little brother, everyone that's been kind of in and out of that house. Now, after warrants are issued and property is seized, like phones, computers, and stuff, they all lawyer up. Mm. Right. Dina then reveals that during that time while she was while Felicia was there, she did allow her little sister to drink, smoke weed, do all this other stuff that So she just had her just out here. That's, just out here. Just out there. Wow. So her mom apparently I mean, how would you feel as a mom? First of all, I let my child go and be in your care. And you basically just let my child just be for the streets. That's basically what you've done. That's basically what she did. She out here just wilding out at 16 years so old. So you can imagine Janice blew her top and told she told reporters that she would never let her go if she knew it was going to be like that. Absolutely not. I totally believe the mom. So then Janice, you know, mom then turns her rage at Russell, the dad. Right. Saying he was an absentee father. He wasn't there. Um, so now they're going back and forth at it. So then Michael tells the police Felicia liked coming to Dina's because she had more freedom. Yeah, well, that sounds, I mean, but this was her first time there. So you can say, how can you say she liked coming to Dina's if this was her first time letting her no, visit? I don't know if it was necessarily her first time there. Well, didn't you say they reconnected on Facebook? Yeah, that was back in 2009. And she let her go when? 2000? But you, if you think about it, there, if Michael and her had been texting back and forth for six months, for six months, she may have been there before. 
but it might have been brief. There's no nothing in the information that says that. Okay. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, she may have visited once before. Okay. So, Tuesday, January 4th, it's been a week since Felicia had been missing. Police searched Dina's apartment. Police launched a search in Lincoln Park. The only reason why they searched Lincoln Park is because they put up like a message board and somebody commented saying, why don't y'all check Lincoln Park? Because his body's popping up there all the time. Mm -hmm. So I guess police kind of did that, but it came up with nothing. Now the FBI is involved and they bring in helicopters. They question Felicia High School. They dedicate half the FBI office to search and investigate. They bust in police academy cadets. Rewards are made, billboards go up, local resources are poured into this search, which they should have been doing in the first place, but they was like, eh, she's probably just out doing something, whatever. So even with all those resources being poured, it never really reached national attention. Okay. So the Baltimore Police Department pleaded with national news to run this news case. They said this is their Natalie Holloway. You remember Natalie Holloway? Yes. And if she was white, her face would be all Plastered over the nation. Over right? everything. So I guess that helped because then it became national news and tips, tips start coming in near and far. One tip came pointing to an old well behind a shed in one of Michael's relatives' backyard. So police went there and they brought a cadaver dog and one of the dogs get a hit. Hmm. So what they end up doing is draining the well 20 feet of water, but they find absolutely nothing. Which is confusing because those dogs are especially trained and they don't really make mistakes like no. that. They don't make those kind of mistakes. I can't see it. Once police get Felicia's cell uh, data back, it shows her phone was cut off at 103 that day and never comes back on. Cut Remember? off or died. Like it doesn't necessarily, we don't, I mean, we really don't know because they don't have the phone. So they can't really say if it was, if it died, but there is no nothing else after that. nothing else one at 103 but remember michael phone was off from 11 35 to 104. Mm. so by 128 he left and his cell phone connected to near his relatives in southwest baltimore then later near a 16,000 acre state park so a few hundred police went to that area to search and they find a body but it wasn't felicia's Then on Wednesday morning, April 20th, a work crew working at the Conowingo Dam near Susquehanna River found a new body of a young woman floating in the debris, wood, logs, and all of that stuff. Police were called in to the, to the scene and later it was confirmed to be that of Felicia Simone Barnes. Hmm. When she's found, they find another body a few miles away. So now everyone's kind of shocked and, you know, like they found her body, then they find someone else's body. But this just happened to be a coincidence. The man body that they found a few miles away had suffered from mental illness. And apparently, I think his wife had been looking for him for a few months. Okay. Um, the medical examiner determined that Felicia had been dead for about three or four months and she died from asphyxiation. Daddy Issues, the new album by Lauren Nicole is out now. Come into the world of the R&B songstress as she takes you through her journey of love, life, healing, trials, and tribulations. Check out her smash hits, I Met a Guy, Sorry, and Look Who's Crying Now. Daddy Issues, the album, streaming on all platforms.
back to the story. Okay, so now the question goes from where is Felicia to who killed Felicia? Her funeral was May 7th, 2011. Two months have passed and no arrests have been made. Family and friends hold a rally for justice at City Hall because they don't feel any progress is being done. But little do they know the FBI had search warrant applications that had they filed them. The FBI had been investigating child sexual abuse material and sexual exploitations of a minor in connection to Felicia's death. As a result, this brings Felicia, alleged killer, to trial. Now, not too much is known, but what we do know is that the feds wanted to access wanted access to Felicia's social media accounts, emails, uh, Dina and Michael and other people, which includes Michael's brother, the cousin. The reason why they wanted this is because there seems to be a cell phone video that shows Felicia partially clothed and intoxicated. Even, but even with this information, it wasn't enough to make an arrest. So, on, whose phone was that on? This is on Felicia's phone. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Was it, it maybe on Felicia's phone? Or no, it doesn't say. It just said because they confiscated all their phones. But I'm thinking it was on Felicia's phone. So what are these text messages? Since they've been texting back and forth for six months, like what are they saying? Is nothing that's incriminating enough to make any type of arrest? Or it did. It didn't say. I was looking for that because I wanted to. I kind of wanted to know what they've been saying back and forth. Exactly. But apparently, it was a deep conversation because they're going back and forth and. You got hundreds and hundreds of text messages. So now it's back to the drawing board for the investigators. The state attorney brings the case to a grand jury. They call Michael's family to testify. And at the same time, they get a wiretap on Michael's phone. This is, I guess, a scare tactic to get him to criminate himself. Now, there is an audio of Michael questioning the DNA test and the possibility of them finding um, his skin under Felicia's nails. Okay. Now, I've heard the audio. Um, maybe a little bit later, I could find it and play it for you. But unfortunately, I don't have it or have direct access to it because it came from the state's attorney's office. But this is what Michael claims. He claims him, Dina, and Felicia were play fighting and one of them scratched him. He don't know which one of them is. So his his DNA could very well be under her fingernails. But that's his, uh, his that's, alibi, his excuse, his that's, reasoning. That's his reasoning. Mm. And in that, record, that recording, he does sound a bit cavalier about the entire situation. He's talking, He's. Ta- I think he's talking to Michael, talking to one of his cousins or his brother. And he's just kind of like, yeah, well, man, I've lived a pretty good life. Like, you know, I can't complain. That kind of sounds like. Yeah, they're going to find something and... Wrapping it on up. Wrapping it on up. I'm about to go to prison, so it's been real. Um, in that recording, too, he also brings up the, that, that tote. And then he had told his new girlfriend that he was considered fleeing the United States and going to Brazil. Well, there's no extradition laws. But I kind of need him to take a civics class because... Uh, yeah. You go to Brazil, there is, there extra, is, there is extradition law. they will law. bring you back. They will bring you back back quick fast and in a hurry mm-hmm. so even with all that damning audio recording they still found still not enough to charge and to, and and still not enough to make an arrest wow okay so but now here's a new lead 
During some internet chatter on the People's Champion blog, a woman who was an associate of one of Michael Brothers tweeted on Twitter, it's trapped at the dam, don't pull the lever. Don't that shit kind of sound? Uh, it's trapped at the dam, don't pull, pull. the lever. And remember, they found her well, body at a dam. Was this before or after they found her? This was after they found her. Hmm. How? But this was this was after they found they I, I they saw this tweet. Investigators saw this tweet after they had found her. But this was before she was found. The, that it was tweeted. I don't know. Nothing. Mm. Nothing says that. But when she they did, when they approached, when the authorities approached her, she claimed she doesn't remember that text or know what it means. Boy. So fast forward to around one year after her disappearance, Michael Lawyer says there are photos of Michael and Felicia streaky. Apparently it was a group of them doing this in not of Dina's place. Now get this. This wasn't during the winter break. This was some time before. Goes back. She so had been there before. She had been there before. So finally on April 25th, 2012, Michael is finally indicted on first degree murder of Felicia. He's finally been indicted. So when he's arrested, his mugshot shows, you could probably go on the internet, you can look it up. You can show that he had apparently been beaten, roughed up hmm. by the police. His eye is swollen, is black and stuff like that. Police said he had tried to run and they tackled him. Okay. Of course, Michael pleads not guilty and is denied bail because remember in that audio, he threatened to flee the country Correct. in that recorded conversation. So at this point, he's a flight risk. He's a flight risk. Yeah. John Butler, who is a law clerk assigned to the case, notices that the phone Michael used on his EasyPass application is different than the one police is aware of. Michael had gotten a new phone back in June 2010. So the state subpoenaed the records from the old number, and guess what? There are more than 1,200 text messages between him and Felicia. <laughs> I know that's high. <laughs> Now, all of this is still circumstantial. There's no DNA on her. There's no bin. The cell phone Michael had doesn't ping near any towers where her body was found. However, there's a theory that Michael may have taken her body to the well house where that cadaver dog picked up that scent. Mm -hmm. The prosecutors make note that they will be playing the full cell phone video where Felicia, Dina, and Michael and his brothers were streaking. It's 16 minutes. And it shows... A, it shows all four of them drunk and engaging in sex. I told you. I knew it. So now Janice, of course, is really pissed off. And she's mad at Dina. Michael trial starts early 2013. The prosecutors point the finger at Dina as irresponsible and say that... Absolutely. Yeah. And say that that was the beginning of Michael and Felicia's relationship that eventually led to her death. In that video, in that 16-minute video... Michael is with Dina. Felicia is with Michael's younger brother, Delane. Delane. But they think this is where Michael became obsessed with Felicia because in the video with Dina and Michael together and Felicia and Delane, in the video, Michael is staring at Felicia, even though he's with that Dina. That creepy stare. That creepy stare. Michael is seen touching her breast. Now, in the video, it says Felicia has supposedly grabbed Michael's penis. And then Michael is seen touching Felicia's breath. Dina and all of Felicia's siblings, they all end up taking a stand. So now the medical examiner took the stand to say her body was mildly decomposed and prosecutors reveal a surprise witness, a man named James McCray. 
and get this shit. It's a lot of people. It's in a this. lot of people. It's a lot of players. James yeah. says he saw Felicia's body after she was killed. He says James James claims that Michael showed him Felicia's body and asked him what he should do. Apparently, James only spoke up after Michael's arrest because of the guilt. <laughs> what, what, it is what do you a think? lot of play. No, it, what do you it, think? It? It's a lot of players. Like it's a lot of. It was a lot of things that were going on in that house that a sixteen-year-old girl should definitely not have been a part of, and something possibly happened and. I just think everybody is suspect because once that has happened, you're not going to just sit around like, I'm sure everybody probably knew what happened. Every probably, everybody probably knows exactly what happened. I, I, I honestly don't believe Dina knows what happened. And I don't think Kelly knows what happened. They were at work. Well, I don't think, okay, the sisters definitely, I don't believe they know what happened. But they were letting her engage in things that right. should not have been going on with their little sister. Like, right. that's absolutely out of there. So you can't tell me that something didn't transpire and now everybody's running around trying to figure out what to do. Right. That's what it sounds like to me. And no, they may not have known exactly what happened, you know, in the beginning, but, but I'm sure. But their behavior to me contributed to whatever whatever detriment happened to her it yeah. contributed to that i agree they're I just agree as responsible so this guy james says michael called him saying he needed him to come over because he needed some advice he then showed james felicia's body over where over to i guess it didn't say but okay. it just said he showed him i don't know maybe it was at his house or wherever he then showed james felicia's body it was wrapped in a sheet and was on his bed Michael told James that he was giving her mixed signals and that he raped her and choked her because she wouldn't stop crying. James says he didn't agree to move her body, but told him to turn off his phone and her phone and to dump the body in water to wash away any evidence rather than burying her. Now he's an accomplice. I just don't I just don't believe him. You I mean, don't believe James? I don't believe James because from my from my research, he's had a checker pass. He's just too unreliable. You think unreliable. he was part of it? Does he he gives you the 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 idea that he was part of it? I mean, do you think that because No, I think he just wants attention. Hmm. I think he just wants to be a player. Hmm. The medical examiner also said that there was no sign that her body was folded to be put into a bin. The only conclusion is that she died from lack of oxygen. But there was no sign of choking or strangulation. So that kind of goes goes against James' theory okay. that he choked her. There was no injuries on her body. The case was ruled homicide because of the surrounding factors. She can't, I mean, the medical examiner can't even say with a certainty that she was actually murdered, but it was the fact that she was missing and everything that surrounded is what gave, uh, you know, allowed them to just rule it as a homicide. Mm -hmm. So after the state rested their case, the defense in return asked the judge for an acquittal. The judge turns to the prosecutor and says that they are concerned about the flaws in their case. But even with the judge's concern about the prosecutor's case, they didn't grant the acquittal and he sent it to a jury. So they go to trial. Both sides are kind of going hard at each other. And now it's in the hands of this jury and it goes to the verdict. The jury is given two options. They can be convicted of first-degree murder 
of second degree murder. The jury acquits him of first degree murder, but convicts on second degree. So now you would think everyone is happy. That's until the defense filed a motion for a new trial. That motion was granted. So it tosses out that conviction. Hmm. So a new trial starts December 2014 with a new judge and a different defense attorney. And there's so much drama the second time around that they are allowed to keep that audio wiretap phone. Remember the audio where he's talking about the the skin under the nails, mm-hmm. going to Brazil and all that stuff. But there's parts in that audio that got to be redacted. However, a portion that was supposed to be redacted accidentally slipped into the trial and to the ears of the jury, mm. causing a mistrial. Cause I say causing a mistrial. Which benefit the prosecutors, if you think about it, because the only reason why they say that is because five jurors said, based on what they were presenting, they were going to find Michael not guilty. So that mistrial actually benefited the prosecutors. Okay. So the third trial was subverted before it even started. Now we in January 2015. The judge reverses the mistrial and just quits Michael of second degree murder. He just acquits him. Tosses out. Just reverses it. The state refiles charges. The defense files a motion to dismiss. And the judge grants the dismissal because it's the same judge that just acquitted him of second degree murder. So when they refile the charges, it went back to the same judge who just acquitted him mm. of second degree. So he's absolved of everything. Yep. The state's the state appeal. They appeal to the Maryland High Court. Agree. And now there's going to be the third trial. The ter- third trial starts 2018. So now you get to this. To this. Michael opts for a bench trial. And if I was him, honestly, I would opt for a bench trial instead of a jury because it seems like the judge has been kind of ruling in his favor anyway. Mm-hmm. So this time there's new prosecutors. The defense argues that she left the house on her own, ran into trouble and died. March 30th, Michael is acquitted of all charges. Oh, and that's what it is. I would be so mad so, if I was her mom. Oh, my gosh. So that's where we are now. She gets no justice, basically. Absolutely no justice. The only thing that came that came the only thing that, that was good that came out of this case was a law called Felicia's Law now. And it's a bill that is aimed at improving coordination between law enforcement and community groups. So he cannot be retried for first degree murder, second degree murder. He cannot even be retried because you cannot be double retried jeopardy. because it'll be double jeopardy. He's he's basically free. Yep. And he's gotten a what? Wow. You know, it's, I mean, in the court of law, based on all this, it's just, he just got off on these technicalities. technicalities. And it happens. It yeah. does happen, you know, um, with several cases, just like you have several people that go to jail that don't deserve to be there. You obviously now have people, you know, that get acquitted of charges and are not charged that are guilty. So because our, you know, judicial system is not perfect, unfortunately, and has flaws of its own, these are things that are going to happen. And it's just sad because when you're on the, you know, the short end of the stick of a situation like this, it's got to be extremely stressful, depressing and hurtful. And you feel like the law doesn't work for you. So. So if anyone's out here listening to this podcast, if you have any information that can help this case and help Felicia Simone Barnes get justice. You can call the Baltimore Police Department. Um, any thoughts? Any any takeaways? Or that was your takeaway from it? That was my takeaway from it. You know, uh, 
you know, just prayers for the family mm -hmm. that eventually they will be able to get closure um, for their daughter. Well, we'd like to thank you for listening to File 13, our very first episode. Join us next week as we dive into the mysterious death of Kanika Jenkins. Yeah. And as we say here at File 13, a cold case is not a closed case. Have a good evening.